Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 186 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing Luke Rockhold's scorched earth stance with the UFC, Aljamain Sterling's view of his treatment by the UFC, the booking of Robbie Lawler versus Santiago Ponzinibbio, woo-woo, and we'll take a look at the best fights from UFC 277. Guys, what's been going on? Well, uh, UFC 277 already happened, so we're talking 278. UFC 278. You know, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I am picking, <laughs> I am picking Amanda Nunes over Juliana Pena without hesitation. I'll tell you that much. I'm living uh, in the past here, okay? I'm trying to go backwards because my birthday is in 12 days and I'm just, man, old age has really hit me hard. I'm trying to go backwards. So we're going to move backwards now, 277, 276. That's, that's the routine now. Yeah, we, we can we can go back in time. We 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 need the uh, we need the DeLorean for that. But UFC 278, it's not a great pay per view, top to bottom. But there are a few good fights. The top three is is what really makes this card. Uh, I'm doing well, other than the fact that you know I don't know if it's worse when it's hot and sunny and there are no clouds in the sky, or when it's hot and humid but it is extremely cloudy like it is right, right now where I am. It's just an annoyance when it's cloudy and, and everything. There's no sunlight peeking through. It shouldn't be 90 something degrees. It sucks. It's kind of like a nature's own sous vide. You know what I mean? There's no hope. You're just cooked under this thing and there's no light. You know, you're just you're just trapped in that 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 nice little sealed uh, humidity, just letting it cook you from the inside. And if you if you have that warm feeling inside, you're going to despise it because it's not going to stay warm. It's going to be unbearable. I should know. I lived in the tropics and I came back from the tropics. And guess what? I live, bitch. I'm back. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I've got my boy with me. Uh, I am a little under the weather, as you might be able to hear. <laughs> you know, I must have probably caught a small cold uh, while traveling. It seems to be going around a lot these days. But um, other than that, man, I'm just grateful I'm back in uh, crazy dad mode. And this is good. So um, we got a lot to look forward to. We got KSW this weekend. Uh, we got, of course, a, a pretty strong pay-per-view, at least on, as far as the main card is concerned. This is good stuff, man. I have had a pretty decent week. Uh, can't complain about much of anything. It's been raining on and off all week. So the the temperature has been in the upper 90s as opposed to the upper 100s. So I'm real thrilled about that. This card is, you know, I've complained about it a lot and I'm going to complain again. This card is weak for the amount you have to pay for it. You got basically four fights that are worth their weight and the rest of it could easily be stuck on a fight night card. But uh, that's enough about my rant there. We do need to jump into some news and boy, oh boy, our co-main event for the card, uh, Luke Rockhold is on fire. And Victor, I I must commend you for your tweet about his taking psychedelics and... uh, experiencing awakening of consciousness because that made me laugh like a a freaking hyena it it really sticks with me though because everything he's saying man who is this luke rockhold i'm gonna quote here from the uh the media scrum that from 
That was yes, day before yesterday, excuse me. And he talked about fighter pay. He went all in on the UFC. He went in on Dana. So let me quote here because MMA Junkie was kind enough to transcribe. I'm not saying anything that's not real. Everything I'm saying is justified and truthful. Just because I should be in a position of power before I say this shit? Fuck off. I have nothing to lose. I don't need this business. I love fighting and I'm here to fight the best motherfuckers. And this happens to be the place where it's done. The company is fucking growing and they're implementing other little stupid ass bonuses. 5,000 here, 5,000 there, 50,000, man. We've been stuck on this motherfucker for 20 fucking years. I mean, back when GSP was fighting Jake Shields, I mean, what was it? A hundred thousand? Fuck, it was growing. When Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta were running the show, there was real grounding wires. These guys don't know what they're doing, and they're just letting Dana run the show and suppress the sport. They need to grow. This whole fucking thing needs to grow together. Our lives are on the fucking line. Healthcare needs to be taken care of. Our fucking health needs to be taken care of. Mine has not been taken care of. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of people and things that need to change. I'm just not going to be afraid to say it. Everyone wants to fucking get that title shot. They want to move up. I've fucking done it all. It's like, yeah, this is business. Every business is like this. It's about leverage. It's a game of leverage and life. It's about fucking always keeping the upper hand. It's not just here. It's everywhere. And if you let these motherfuckers think that they have this leverage, it's only going to grow above you. It's just people understanding their worth. And I cannot disagree with a single thing he said there, really. I mean, he's hit it on the head. And we have noted before in the past that when the Fertitas were running things, Maybe on the inside, they were very similar or close to the same, but on the outside and their outward appearance of the way they treated the fighters seemed to be a little better. They were more generous with bonuses, etc. We had several times where there were more $50,000 bonuses. There were a few times where that they did $75,000 and there were times when there were $100,000 bonuses, although when I go back in my memory palace, I can only remember one time, and that was UFC 100. If there were others, please tweet me, let me know, whatever. The point I'm making here is Luke is right, and I like the fact that he said, I don't need to be in a position of power to say this. I don't care. I have nothing to lose. And you know what, guys and gals in the UFC? You guys have nothing to lose either because it's really easy to get cut even off of a win, no matter what. I mean, Dana White just came out and talked about how they screwed everything up with the negotiations with Shane Burgos. And Shane Burgos went and signed with someone else because the UFC dropped the ball. If Dana's willing to come out and admit that, how much do you think he's willing to not admit when they drop the ball or when they're just being cutthroat. So in a nutshell, Luke is right. And if you disagree with it, well, you're wrong. 
do we have in the the MMA mythical character Hall of Fame uh, enlightened Luke Rockhold? <laughs> no, we don't. But... I, mean, I mean, it's not like Luke has has had this in, incredibly deep history of of saying a lot of thoughtful things, but in the last couple of months. I mean, it feels like, I don't know, maybe the time away from the sport had him had him thinking about a lot of things. Uh, you, you notice the pattern, though, with, with certain fighters who have been in strike force, they've been with other promotions, or they've been with the Fertitta era UFC and then transferred to, to the Endeavor era. And what has changed, what hasn't changed. And Rockhold's been in the sport long enough that he knows the changes that have happened with sponsorship, with pay. And by the way, UFC 129, when GSP fought Shields at the um, Rogers Center in Toronto, the bonuses for that card were $129,000. Because that was the first UFC stadium show, I think, ever. And and it was certainly the first show that they had done in Toronto, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that, that was a huge moment for them. So that's why the bonuses are up that high. But... You know, I believe Joe Silva said, and it might have been in, in one of the depositions, they did the flat 50000 for all these cards because they had a hard time getting fighters to go on to regular fight nights compared to pay-per-views because the fight nights tended, they, they usually had lower fight night bonuses than the pay-per-views. So if you see an upcoming card, UFC insert number here, and the bonus is 80000 for that, but they want you on a fight night where your maximum bonus could be $30,000, then you know which which route the fighter would prefer to take. So, yeah, that, that's been a sticking point. It certainly would be easier if they just did finish bonuses. But, you know, Rockhold has, has got a lot of good points uh, as far as especially the, the year-round health insurance, the state of the, the money that they're making relative to the money that the UFC has been making. I mean, UFC's finances are in phenomenal shape. And they have been for, for years now, and especially after the sale and after Mayweather, McGregor, and everything else. They, they are constantly just, just having record years in terms of, of revenue. But are the fighters making the same money you know, at the same rates? I mean, think about the bonuses again. $50,000 in 2022, that's been the standard of post-fight bonuses for eight years now. So $50,000 now is not the same as $50,000 eight years ago. So Rockhold might have gone scorched short, but you know what else happened? The UFC normally puts these media days uh, as individualized videos. So you have Usman's media day with Leon Edwards. <laughs> Guess which one did not show up on the UFC's YouTube channel? I mean, everybody, oh. you, if you want to watch it on, on MMA Junkie or, or, or another site because they were there, yeah, you can do that. But if you want to watch on the UFC, hell no. So I'll tell you what, when this weekend happens, if Luke Rockhold ends up losing this mm-hmm. fight... Uh, he will not be cut. He couldn't be cut fast enough. Basically, the UFC will, will will escort him directly into a car, put him in an Uber, and send him away. They'll have his stuff at his hotel already packed outside. Uh, I think that Rockwell's ready to be done with the UFC. And for all we know, maybe part of the reason why he took time off beyond just the losing is just, just his dissatisfaction with the promotion. And that's a hardly unique stance, but it's good for him to say that, and it's good for him to use that voice Mm-hmm. For for do it in media day, and it's also good for him to stand up for, for his teammate Marlon Vera after that mm-hmm. barstool uh, journalist seems to think that Marlon's Mexican. No, he's journalist? not. So Rock Rockhold was on one, and I mean it in a good way. Journalist, I hope you used your air quotes. That was a yeah, no. Well, well barstool journalist, uh, <laughs> and that wasn't yeah. barstool. That was that first that front media, first media, whatever it's called. 
Oh, it's not even Barstool. Well, you know what? Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked at Barstool. The apologies to Barstool on this one instance, but still, uh, it's safe to say, now, I'm not credentialed, but some of the people who get credentialed to go to these media days and these press conferences really should not be credentialed at all. And I'm not talking about the veteran journalists who do their excellent work, but some of these fly-by-nighters who, who just act like fanboys and, and are so disrespectful, that should be totally eradicated. It was the UFC, so they do what they want. The Nelk boy, it was the same guy that Nate Diaz slapped up. It was the same person that uh, Luke owned in that whole media thing. But the problem I had with that guy is that he just kept reiterating, well, I didn't say he was Mexican. I didn't call him Mexican. Okay, let me tell you what's that. Okay, Mookie, I got a bone to pick with you. You walk back that apology to Barstool right now, goddammit. How <laughs> dare you apologize to people who don't deserve it? Right? Are you serious? Um, I Yeah, look, um, I, I am starting to think, you know, I remember when, when Luke was talking about, he was being more open about his use of uh, psychotropics and psychedelics and, and his, uh, his ability to have focus and clarity. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard stories like that in the past. You know, the whole... Um, this whole idea of like you, if you consume something like LSD or, or DMT and like you come back from that and you're, you're not just seeing the puppet show, you're seeing the strings. And I, I feel that maybe that's led to something. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think it's, it, I'm not, don't, let's not get this wrong. I'm not saying that that is a, um, a substitute or replacement for any kind of therapy. I don't think it's a cure all. I don't think it's something that everybody should be doing. There are people that should absolutely not be touching anything like that. But, um, I don't think that that is the singular thing that has led to his particular awakening, but you do reach a certain point in time where you're like, you know what? Kind of like what Bill Hicks said, you know, weed doesn't make you lazy. It just makes you realize that whatever the hell you were thinking of doing just isn't worth it. And it's, it's, it's kind of what's going on here with him. Like, no, you know what? It's not worth it for me to keep my, to, to stay quiet as all these things are happening around me. And he was right. I mean, I remember when as, as reviled as he was, and in some cases justifiably so, but Brian Caraway was annoying Dana White so much that he's the one, the reason that fighters ended up getting 65,000 for bonuses for a couple of months or maybe at least a year. You guys remember that? I do. Mm -hmm. And then they brought it back down to 50. There's still no finishing bonuses. There's still like, yeah, sure. You've got the uh, training insurance basically, which is what it is. The liability insurance that it is because it's a health insurance proper. Uh, but Luke was again, just, he's just been so correct on all these things. And, and I'm not just saying that because he's echoing the sentiment of things that we, uh, particularly at bloody Hellboy, have been discussing for years, as well as some other outlets as well. Some other independent voices have been, have been espousing, um, similar thoughts or, you know, gone along the same lines, but the fact that he's doing so in such a public manner, you know, it, it does make you worry because he's in a matchup against a very strong striker. Uh, someone who has had a few knockouts like Luke, someone who's had, you know, questions about whether or not he can still hang and who's coming back from a long hiatus. He could easily get cut if, if things go uh, you know, south for him. And sure, you know, maybe Bellator will pick him up. He's got an existing relationship working with Scott Coker in the past. I don't know if that's still good, but it shouldn't have to be that way. We shouldn't have to be in a system where fighters are worried like, oh, my God, they're going to release me. What for telling the truth? For being right. Steffi, you mentioned how people can get cut for whatever reason, you know, after a loss or whatnot. Hey, Leslie Smith didn't lose that last fight. It just got canceled and they paid her her purse and they sent her packing. Mm -hmm. And who's to say that, you know, if, if they're willing to do that for someone who was trying to not only have the biggest balls in the sport to 
start having at least some level of inquiry into what can be done in forming a, 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 um, an inquiry uh, towards the true status of fighters and then begin some form of collective bargaining, uh, some form of movement from there. You know, something like this, it, it doesn't sit well. It's not on the same level because it doesn't threaten the business model, but it, it certainly isn't something that these people love. And, you know, yeah, look, his target's very well deserved. You know, he's, he's, he was talking shit about the Nuck Boys. <laughs> How are you going to pay these guys more than your flyweight champion? Who the hell are these people? Like you you don't understand modern media, but you're trying to kiss these these dudes' asses? Really? You're trying to go with that? You're trying to ingratiate yourself? You're only going on favorable outlets to... Talk about things like Barstool. Barstool, as I've said before, an outlet so incredibly whose community that they've fostered has been so toxic and so racist that they disable the comments to not lose sponsors. I mean, th this is who you're attracting. You're purposely chasing the money of these people, making more money than ever hand over fist. You can't break these cats off a little more. Luke is right, man. Luke is right. And I'm sure that uh, the whole deal like last week with the uh, GQ interview, Dana's probably uh, going to be you know, a little less uh, enthused about having to talk even more about fighter pay. But to have it happen from a former champion, a high-profile guy, I'm sure it's got to sting a hell of a lot more. So uh, I, I, I do kind of worry about his standing here with the company after this. Oh, his standing is going to be, if you <laughs> win or lose, you, you're probably going to get the boot. And uh, we got the press conference today, right? Oh. And we have it's before we're recording. So I don't know if Dana's going to be there, but I wouldn't be shocked if somebody asked him a question about Rockhold's statements. And Rockhold's a co-main event, so he might even be at the presser too. So that could get awkward, could, couldn't it? Because oh Rockhold made that line about, you know, <laughs> you know, letting these days they let Dana run the show. I'm not even sure if that's true. I don't necessarily believe that's true, that Dana's just running the show and suppressing the sport. He's just the big figurehead in all of this. But with Endeavor and with Ari Emanuel and all the other corporate people, I mean, Dana's just being more vocal in the media. I think what's changed is that on occasion, he kind of get reeled in by the Pertitas, but now he can just go go and, and fly off the handle and say things on GQ and then get mad when that stuff on GQ gets reported by ESPN. <laughs> well, he, he would have Lorenzo would pull the leash, but now you know he gets mad when his quotes are taken in proper context and, and to great lengths. Um, mm -hmm. It also could stand to reason, though, that since Joe Silva and so many of the backroom people were let go or were offered deals to to make their hasty retreat. And Dana was offered the deal to stay on in an advisory role, presidential role, whatever the fuck, you know, pardon my French. Um, why wouldn't he have a bigger role? Because these are all a bunch of corporate suits that handled entertainment management. They did not handle any kind of fight promotion or anything like that. Nowhere close to that. So it kind of stands to reason that maybe Dana has got a bigger role. I'm not saying it's as big as Luke thinks it is, but it's certainly more significant than it was under the Fertitas. I'm sure of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that certainly seems to be the case. And look, this is a giant operation that one person is not going to be able to control. There's, there's people that you delegate to, but still, you know, if, if he's the ultimate authority, much like I said before, right. I mean, I've made the comparisons to Vince McMahon many times, you know, when you, when you have that kind of structure, that's kind of how it's going to happen. That's kind of how this control is, is exerted. You know? So, yeah, that's that's uh, weird. And, of course, 
Luke Rockhold must be feeling a lot of pressure that and feeling like he's not exactly someone that is in the uh, good graces of the UFC. And so we're going to move on to address someone else who doesn't feel like they're in the uh, best of uh, lights when it comes to UFC management. And that's Aljamain Sterling, who addressed in an interview with Ariel Hawani that he wasn't really going, um, things weren't as smooth, say, uh, between himself and Madison. And I'm just going to really go right into the quotes that he had here. Quote, sometimes I feel like, for lack of better terms, the cliche, the redheaded stepchild. Sometimes I do, you know, it's not that everybody in the UFC, certain people that probably matter the most. I guess it's not always the best feeling to be on that side, but I roll with the punches. I'm going to do me no matter what, but I just don't feel like I get the push like maybe some others do, or maybe I'm just in my own head. Okay, well, I mean, look, I don't think it's uh, entirely inaccurate. I don't think he's been the most promoted champion. Uh, I can see where he would feel that maybe he's not getting the kind of... um, recognition that he deserves especially after the despite the controversial manner in which he uh gained the bantamweight title and of course the magnificent way in which he was able to rebound from that and earn it you know to, to in his first title proper title defense but here's one more thing that he said here and this is actually pretty cool i've been trying i know the guys are busy and the world doesn't just stop for me but hopefully we get things figured out and kind of figure out the working relationship because at the end of the day we're all business partners I want to help them make money. I want to help me. I want them to help me make money. And I think that's the best way you can look at a relationship like that. See, here he's kind of towing the company line. You know, he's kind of saying, look, man, let's make this as mutually beneficial as possible. I want to be easy to work with, and I want to be able to get a little bit more shine. Look, he's not even asking for more money like he did before. He's not even asking for, you know, special perks or anything like that. He's just asking that he be treated just a little kinder, you know, and Look, is it any worse than the treatment that Demetrius Johnson got? No, not necessarily. But I think it's a valid comparison to bring in here if you really want to look at how badly and how disrespected you can be as a champion and not really get any shine whatsoever. You look at the the, the squandered opportunities that they had, the mismanagement with Henry Cejudo uh, during his time in, in being an active fighter. And of course, maybe on the outs now, but we know why that is. Yeah, uh, Sterling, I mean, look, he said the right things. I think he handled this in a proper manner. Do you believe that he is, in fact, as maybe uh, neglected as he's making this seem? And if so, is this the proper way for him to remedy? Back in the day before there was 125 and 135 and 145, when it was basically 155 through 265, it was a different era and you didn't have all those divisions and all those constant turning overs of belts and interim titles and this and that and the other. So in that regard about him being sort of overlooked or not being paid the proper attention to, I'm sure he's right. But I can also see from the UFC side that things are a lot busier and with a lot more divisions. Now we have all the women's divisions too. And if you are not a John Jones or a Conor McGregor or a, a big Francie. Uh, I, I guess he's our heavyweight guy right now that can can do pretty decent numbers. But if, you, if you're not one of those that constantly brings in those eyeballs, the UFC does sort of treat you like a redheaded stepchild. So in the regard that Aljo's being singled out, I don't think so quite so much. There are rarities. Jose Aldo was a rarity, but in the beginning, he was treated like the stepchild too. Unless something massive is going to come from one of these fights or he does something incredible on social media that garners him 
the eyeballs of someone that's a lot more popular. I love Aljo. I think he's great. And I also like his fight style. I think he's come leaps and bounds, but that's clearly not enough for what the UFC wants out of their fighters. So while I sympathize and empathize with him, I sort of understand how this ugly ass machine works. And unfortunately that's the breaks of it. Him calling it out um, I don't know if it's going to be a bad thing or a good thing because he seems to be dialing it back from when he used to call them out. When he used to call them out, he was, you know, just shy of being a Luke Rockhold. These days, when he does a little calling out, he's very delicate with how he words things because I think he understands that, you know, flies to honey rather than to vinegar. Yeah, he's had to play ball, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, a little yeah. bit more than he used to. But his relationship with the USC, I wouldn't say it's adversarial, but it, it is closer to awkward, or at least not on the greatest of terms. And we know it's never been on the greatest of terms because think about how long it took him to get on a main card. On a main card, even when he was a ranked lightweight. I think the first time he got into a main card was the um, the Marlon Marais fight. And that ended poorly for him. And then back on the prelims, he went. And then he finally gets on the main card again when he took on Corey Sanhagen. So you think about how long he's been in the UFC. And it's been since 2014 when he beat uh, Cody Gibson, who, by the way, is one of the most thoughtful MMA fighters, I think, on social media. So shout out to him. But one, two, three, four, five. We're looking at uh, 15 UFC fights. I, I guess there would be, what, five main card appearances for a champion. Not just a champion. Somebody who's defended the belt successfully. So I think back to him being open about free agency and the decision he made, which is kind of akin to when LeBron chose Miami over Cleveland and he went on Ariel's show and and revealed that he was staying in the UFC. And he's been vocal about fighter pay. He still is. I mean, even this Dillashaw fight, he he brought up that he wouldn't take it unless he got a pay bump. So, you know, it, it he has dialed it back, but not entirely because he he knows what should be right for him and what should be right for fighters. Um, I think he's a little more diplomatic about it than Rockhold just airing the grievances to the nth degree. But, I mean, this is kind of the position we're in for, for quite a few UFC fighters. They're speaking out more and more. And Francis Ngannou, I, I shouldn't uh, neglect this. He mentioned that the sponsorship money he seemingly lost as a result of the crypto deal <gasps> that, that the UFC has done. Oh really? Yes, I, I'll pull it up on uh, I'll pull it up on on Twitter if I can find it because he referenced the Rockhold interview, and oh. that's what made this extra interesting. He said fighters are ripped off with sponsorship. Um, yeah, let me go. Fighters are ripped off with sponsorship. It's a huge source of revenue for us, but the company keeps exploiting that for their own benefit. He said listening to Luke's interview was very pertinent. A lot of things that nobody's talking about, and the company just rolls with it. And he said last year I lost over a million. I lost a deal of over a million dollars from a crypto exchange because the partnership with crypto.com. What do I get from it? So he, he went on his oh, own wow. route. Wait, cryptocurrency turned out to be a bust? Oh, shit. Yes. And, and that, that's, it's hard to ignore that for, for a few of these top fighters, um, the, with crypto having its, its uh, predictable outcome, it, it, it's, it's a big dent into their, into their pockets as well. And what are they going to do? They're, they're tied to a Venom deal. It's not like they can put two, three sponsors on their patches and, you know, two, three patches on their trunks or anything. Hmm. 
absolutely wild. But yeah, Al Jermaine. We don't, we don't want this. We don't want this looking like NASCAR. Okay, let's be realistic. Come on, who wants that? Yeah, I, ab- absolutely not. We don't I, want it to be like that time Juan Manuel Marquez had uh, was a Golden Star poker. On oh. tattooed on his back temporarily. Yeah, and they remember that era. There were a lot of them that were doing that. There was even a goldenpalace.com on there one time. Yeah, well, so the KSW still has that. You see guys getting your body paints and stuff. I mean, that's <laughs> I actually I actually find that, you know, it's not the, the, the most undignified thing that I can think of. It's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Um, get that paper. I don't care. Let's like, look, if, if the organization isn't going to give you that or if you if some other if they allow you to get that uh, extra money elsewhere through that then sure why the hell not you know the best thing but it was also super cringe was when alan belcher was he was sponsored by a sports drink and it's the most horrible name ever it was called retard strength sports drink and their slow their slogan was tard hard and so alan belcher for I believe it was UFC 69 because uh, it was when Kendall Grove beat him. Anyways, he had shaved into the side of his head, tarred hard. Yup. The very first time I interviewed Alan Belcher, I asked him about it and he was like, it's one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done for money. And then you're talking about this crypto thing and I can't help but notice Aaron Bronstetter just a couple hours ago tweeted out that Kamaru Usman is the latest athlete to sign a sponsorship deal with the UFC Strike NFT. Oh, NFTs. Yeah, those are going great. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a necklace with a picture of an NFT on a tile inside the necklace. So you get to have a physical picture of your digital NFT on a necklace. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like they're going through hoops to make you buy this stuff and think that it's worthwhile purchases. I hate NFTs and crypto and all that shit. Man. You know what? Good. Good. <laughs> it's like it's targeted to the dumbest people ever. Am I wrong, Mookie? It's targeted to very gullible people Uh who see government control of money as as unnecessary. So they want to jump into any grift that they can find. And that's a conversation for another day. But God, that stuff was never going to be sustainable environmentally or otherwise. And it's just it's just pure speculation that that crypto is just total garbage. But anyway, uh, so our first two stories about fighters who got beefs with the UFC, Luke Rockhold, Certainly, that's a heavy beef. Al Jermaine has kind of had a historically, uh, you know, iffy time with the UFC. But, hey, he's still the champion. It's We know that when Dana had to put the belt around Sterling, he thought Jan won that fight, right? The rematch? I think yeah. he scored it for Petr Jan. So you, you could see the, the disdain and the, the regret that he had of putting the belt around Al Jermaine. Because I don't think they particularly care for anybody who who talks back or, or stands up for themselves so uh in the meantime let's talk about some fights that are happening now steffi mentioned robbie lawler's next fight we'll get to that in a minute it's also just been announced carla esparza will defend her strawweight title that she regained in her uh win over rose namuna she will defend that belt as expected against zhang wei li ufc 281 november the 12th so that would be a co-main event the main event israel adesanya against alex Pereira. so you've got the middleweight title and the strawweight title on the line esparza incredible 
that's after losing the belt to Ioana that she's the champion again after all these years. Yes, the Nami Yunus rematch was god-awful to watch and one of the worst fights we've ever seen. But still, the fact that she won it, 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 you can't take that away from her. And then for Zhang Weili, she's looking to be champion again. After all, she lost her belt to Rose, but she's come back with a vicious spinning uh, spinning elbow knockout. Was it a spinning elbow or a spinning backfist? I think it was a spinning elbow knockout of uh, Yoania Jacek sending her into retirement. Zhang Weili, undoubtedly the favorite. Um, it's hard not to think that Zhang Weili would be getting that belt back. I think that Carla Esparza is just going to get wrecked here. I can't, I can't stop myself from thinking it because she's just, she used to be a very powerful girl. And then Zhang Wiley came around, came along and just showed us what real power looks like. Same with Jessica Andrade. I don't know. I just, I can't see Esparza in any way, shape or form getting, getting through this and getting the W. I think we're going to see Zhang Wiley with that belt real quick. Like, I don't think it's going to take five rounds either. I think it's going to be done in like under two. Victor? Yeah. Um, I, the first off, I, I, I had it stuck in my head. I had to look it up because I knew I wasn't going crazy. It was in minor, minor correction. Uh, that was a spinning back fist. That landed on Joanna's head and uh, really sent her out of the sport. Zhang is looking phenomenal. I mean, just between, you know, the big ups, by the way, as I, I need to mention this because I love the guy, Anton Tabuena in the Philippines, <laughs> doing his training out there and 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 winning his fight, doing, a, doing a, all the good things in the world, showing that our crew can beat the shit out of any other crew. Um, he was out there and saw uh, Zhang Weili doing some training and the, 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 just the, the pictures and the clips are just Man, she's looking sharp, man. She's looking crisp. She is absolutely a threat. I don't want to count Carla out because I've done it before. And, you know, it's like, damn, she just fought smarter than I thought she did. And she already fights pretty smart most of the time. So uh, maybe, maybe there's a way that her and her crew can think of a game plan and stick to it and make something happen. I mean, whether or not it looks pretty is another matter entirely. But she might even end up winning my submission. You know, she might do something, snake something out. But I. I just know that it's it's still going to be a hell of a banger on paper. I'm looking forward to it regardless. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Good stuff. Yeah, for first Barzer, she's on a six-fight winning streak. Although, interesting enough, four of her five decision wins have not been unanimous. The majority against Alexa Grasso, which I think she pretty clearly won. Yeah. Uh, the Michelle Watterson fight, I don't remember too well to, to – argued that Watterson might have gotten a nod. Rodriguez, I don't think, should have gotten a card at all. Um, Jan Nanchi stopped, and then the Nami Yunus fight, I'd like to think, never happened. Uh, so, yeah, she, she's been just getting by. She's rarely been dominant during this run, but she's beating top-level fighters. But Zhang Wei Li, she looked fantastic against Joanna. And Joanna's uh, retired now, but when have we ever seen her at that? At 115, I should specify, because Shevchenko dominated her at 125. When have we ever seen Joanna get tossed around like that? Because Zhang Wei Li just, just ragdolled her in that first round. And we don't see that out of Joanna's fights. And I think the strength factor for Zhang Wei Li is going to be pivotal here. She's already the much better striker, more powerful striker. But the path to victory for, for Esparza is going to have to be on the ground. And it's not impossible for her, but uh, I don't like her chances all that much. But this is the clear fight to make, right? I mean, there, there weren't too many other options. And you certainly didn't want to do Carla versus Rose 3. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing both title fights, if not for the obvious thing. As far as his last fight was dreadful, Adesanya's last couple of fights have not been that great. But the challengers, Pereira and Zhang Weili, 
they're, I think they're going to make sure that these fights are going to be exciting. So UFC 281 is looking pretty good. Now, um, by the way, before I get to the Lawler fight, it was full send. Full send. Yes. That, that, that was the uh, journalist. I think we said first take or something. It's full send. Full send, uh, yes. That's the one I was trying to get my, my head wrapped around there. Sorry about that. But, yeah, that's where the milk boys are coming from. Full send. And they do have I a little just, deal. Just, they have a little deal just like Barstool with the UFC, too. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't, I mean, this is, this is probably not the way to make the sport hip to younger audiences. We understand that the fan base has been aging. We've all discussed that at length, but I mean, is this really what it's going to be? These, like, you really think that younger people, like people that follow these guys are going to plunk down money for a pay-per-view? I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I could be wrong, but damn. Okay. It's only marginally above those old Tonight Show with Jay Leno correspondents where they'd have like Mitch Fatel or Howie Mandel do a man on the street sort of deal. But this is just dumber. Well, <laughs> I don't least, laugh out of, I don't get laughs out of them. At least Howie Mandel gave us Bobby's world, which was an, a, a fine gift. Oh, to the yes. Group. We're talking about people that have at least some level, some measure of discernible talent, but no, that's, that's, this is no, but, but, but I'll tell you what, we're going to make it up to you now that we went on down the sour path and we're going to discuss someone who has loads of talent. And that well, is... Hang on, hang on, hang on just a second before we Shit. move on. Steffi's got to have her take on Robbie Lawler and Santiago Ponzinibbio because mm. the Pons has lost back to back to Jeff Neal and Michelle Pereira. Uh, Robbie Lawler coming off the loss to um, Brian Bar- Barbarena in a great fight. That's UFC 282 on December 10th. I, I don't know. People are, are, are going with, with Ponza Nibio here, but I'm even not. though Lawler lost that last fight, I didn't think he looked terrible. I just think that's a pace he can't keep up with anymore. Right. And I think that Ponza Nibio is also in that same category, too. He's also experiencing a lot of deterioration, maybe even more so than Robbie. I'm taking Robbie. You know me, though. I mean, if Robbie was fighting Big Francie, I'd probably take him there, too. It is very, very difficult to pick against Robbie Lawler. And yeah, I mean, God, you know, I got the soft spot for the older guys, especially when they can still hang and bang. And I don't really think that, uh, you know, Barbarina, I don't know how many more of those Robbie Lawler bombs he was going to be able to take either. So uh, that that could have gone either way. Uh, big ups to Brian for eking it out and then doing what he did. But I mean, Robbie's still Robbie, man. He still can hang. And I, I can't, I can't pick against him as much as I absolutely adore watching Ponzinibbio fight. I, I, I'm sure that he's the smarter pick here. I'm sure he's likelier to win, but I, I can't do it, man. I got to go with Robbie here. Ruthless one all the way. Pons has not been the same since the staph infection and everything else. This is d- a lot different than Barbarina. I don't think Pons and Nibio's even got the cardio to hold the three rounds anyway. So if, if this is just a three-rounder, I think as long as Lawler doesn't have to, to go strike for strike, Barbarina is tougher than Pons and Nibio too. Like, he can take a hell of a shot. So I got to go with the ruthless one, at least just this one last time. If he loses this, then I might just say we're, we're reaching the end of the road. But I'm not ready to go there just yet. Okay, very well. Well, we're actually going to pivot to someone who is very ready to make some changes of his own, and that is the man who will be headlining this weekend, Kamaru Usman, who is actually (laughs) – see, okay, I get a little flustered discussing this aspect of Usman because he's not content with just being the welterweight champion. He wants to move on and do other things. And you may remember a while ago he was talking about fighting Canelo and this whole deal, and obviously that never really went anywhere, at least not yet, but – Ahead of this fight against Leon Edwards, who is a very game opponent, he says that he would actually like to 
move on to bigger things, such as, for example, moving up to light heavyweight. Now, this isn't the first time that he's mentioned this sort of deal, but he really thinks that he should be able to get an immediate move up to 205 pounds. And just, you know, it doesn't need to be this way. I don't know why he's deciding that he wants to uh, make this move now. I mean, clearly, he doesn't want to go to 185 and fight Adesanya while Adesanya still has the title. He doesn't want to fight him at all because they are, in fact, they seem to be to have a, a very um, nice and, and, and budding friendship. But he was asked about this matter, and this is what he had to say about it. I think any fight that I fight next is going to be a gigantic fight. I've already stated that I want the light heavyweight belt. For a lot of people, it's crazy, but a lot of things seem crazy until it's done. I stated that I wanted it. After this win, Dana and I will sit down and we'll have a conversation. You guys think I kid when I come up here? I usually laugh when I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Everyone thought I was playing with the whole Canelo situation. I wasn't. I really wanted that. It's something that I wanted. It didn't come to fruition then. Who knows what the future holds, but that light heavyweight belt. I'm not saying I would run through the division. Don't get me wrong, but at the top, I think I can get it done. Okay, um, right now, Yuri Prohaska has that belt, and it seems that the uh, main plan right now is to have an immediate rematch with Glover Teixeira, whom he'd be thrown to get that title in the first place. The benefit of this whole deal would be that maybe he wouldn't be terribly undersized and he obviously wouldn't have to cut any weight. I mean, maybe that's, I don't know how big he gets between fights. I doubt that it's the uh, Rumble Johnson plan or lack of a plan uh, to uh, make his way down to welterweight and then kind of you know, go back up and down. I just, I just don't really see it. It's one thing for a guy to be at, like Conor McGregor, right? Fighting at featherweight, then moving up to lightweight. You got a 10 pound difference. We're talking about a 35-pound difference here, and you know that they're only 35 for a couple of minutes, right? You know that they're only, rather that they're only 205 pounds for a couple of minutes, or at least less than an hour. They only need to make weight at that, and immediately they're putting the weight back on again to be in fight shape the next day. I don't like it. I respect his determination. I think it's good for him that he's got this sort of focus and vision to challenge himself and do other things. I just wish that he would aim that determination somewhere else. And you might think, well, where else does he go from here? Because if you look at the rankings, as I'm doing now, Colby Covington is ranked at number one. Now, he already dusted him once, and he put him, you know, he put a, a pretty definitive performance in the uh, rematch against him. Leon Edwards is who he's fighting next. Shemaev is coming up the ranks and could be a suitable next opponent. But after that, you got Gilbert Burns, who he already dusted. Bilal Muhammad, who still has a little bit of work to do. And then Stephen Thompson, Sean Brady, Jeff Neal. And then number nine, Jorge Masvidal, whom, well, we already know what happened there. I get it. I'm sure he probably thinks that he's already cleaned out the division, save for Chimaev. But is this really the way to go? Does he really need to move somewhere else to make this happen? Or is this maybe some sort of um, plea to get some level of respect or some kind of uh, some sort of shine that maybe he's not getting elsewhere? Because, look, the unfortunate case when it comes to fighters and the business propositions, the business possibilities for them is that you get a title and then you can start asking for more money for other things. Like, I don't know, going on to boxing, as we've seen repeatedly from these guys. We've seen it from Ngannou and John Jones and a few others. It shouldn't have to be this way, but maybe that's the move. Maybe that's just really what he feels he needs to do in order to secure his future. Now, what do we think of this whole deal? Is this as ill-advised as I'm thinking it is? And, you know, if so, how does the UFC handle it? Um. This is a harebrained idea. I'm sorry. I don't know if this is Ali putting that shit in his head or what, but Kamaro's not huge. He's 
pretty big for welterweight, but he's not even huge for welterweight. There's bigger guys at welterweight than him. And then he's going to want to jump up to 205. He's not even going to make the stop and pass go at 185. Are you crazy? I don't, I don't, I understand why he's doing this. He doesn't want to go to middleweight because, because of Izzy, but making the leap like that, I just think it's, it's a fool's errand for sure. And how does the UFC handle it? I, I, you know, Dana is probably going to be like, ah, that's not going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that there, there will be a suggestion made for him not to do this unless a juicy opportunity presents itself and then he'll get suggested to do it. But I think it's a dumb idea. You know, what's really funny I mean, him going up to 205, no, that's not happening. But he, he, he shot down the idea of fighting John Jones. Mm-hmm. He said, we got to chill with these scenarios now. Now, John is Johnny's big as hell, which is why he can easily make that transition to heavyweight. If the money's right, I'll try my luck. But John is great. He's in that conversation as the best ever. So wait a minute. Boxing Canelo, realistic. Going up to 205 in the first place to, to challenge Yuri for the title, that, that's in your ballpark. Fighting 2022 John Jones, who hasn't looked good for like four years. Oh, no, no let, let, let's, not, let's not go overboard here. Like, that's how you draw the line? Come on. At 205, um, weight classes matter for a reason. Like, I think Kamaru could do some damage at 185 genuinely. Um, that's not a particularly deep division. But going up from welterweight to light heavyweight, that is not feasible at all. And it's certainly not going to be an easy transition. I think a lot of his game would will, will, will get stifled by the fact that as good as Usman's chin has been at 170, there are some wicked, wicked hard hitters at 205. What's going to happen if Yuri ends up hitting him with, with, a, with a couple of hard shots? Like, I, I don't think that's going to go well. Some people can take power at a specific weight class, and then when they go a little bit too far, that's when things get dicey. I mean, and also, even in boxing, we just seen Canelo try to take another title at light heavyweight. Okay, we seemingly found his limit. He's a dude who's fought at 147, 154. He's won, won, won a title, uh, at, titles at 160, undisputed at 168. But at 175, he might have beaten Wash Kovalev, but Dmitry Bivol, a little bit too far. And he was thinking about fighting at cruiserweight. So, yeah, weight classes exist. Kamaro, you're talking crazy. <laughs> It's always ridiculous when these things happen the week of a title fight because that just feels like it's planning to see for some karmic thing to happen. Yeah, I, I was I was actually going to allude to that. It's usually when when things like that happen, uh, guys don't do well. Junior Dos Santos, he uh, you know he was talking that and it didn't really go well. John Jones hasn't started looking not great after that, and it just you know look could he do it if he were talking about going up and fighting the dregs of 205, fine. If he was fighting the middle of the pack, maybe. But come on, man. I just, you ain't got to do this, man. You really don't. You could just ask for a raise. You know that, right? Like, you ain't got to do this. Yeah, and the thing, too, is that in moving up to 205 and facing all those big, big boys, I mean, isn't Reyes like Um, Mm 6'4"? I I believe one of them is 6'6". I mean, we've got... Big, huge guys. I'm sorry, your wrestling is not going to dominate those big, giant guys if you just can't tie them up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Raise your money. 
not your weight. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, we'll pick Usman's fight with Edwards very shortly. We got to recap what happened last week, which was not good, ladies and gentlemen. It was not good. Sanford mm -hmm. and I went three and four. Victor went two and five. Uh, mm -hmm. Quite a few upsets and surprise results. We were way wrong on Neiman Gracie against Koichi Yamauchi, who, who uppercutted him into the app, into the upper stratosphere. Ariane Lipsky, uh, yeah, that, that went poorly. She wanted to brawl with Cachuera, and that went uh, backfired tremendously. Angela Hill at least got the win over Lupi Godinez. That was a good performance for her. Uh, we were wrong on Bruno Silva against Gerald Mearsharts. Mearsharts, uh, that, that was an awesome showing by him. Victor picked Cynthia Calvillo over Nina Nunes. It was a close fight, but Nunes got the win and gets to retire on a W. Uh, David Onama, I think we were looking pretty good for the first few minutes. And then oh, yeah. Nate Landwehr just had an unbelievable comeback and a great fight. And then Marlon Vera, we got that on the nose. He, he stopped Dominic Cruz to win one <laughs> Dominic, for all of Dominic Mexico. Dominic Cruz apparently. got it on the nose. Dominic Cruz got it on the nose. What yeah, he, he did. A great win for Mexican MMA, if you believe. <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> By the way, I want to thank Steffi for correcting me because I said something like golden, uh, golden star poker for, for Juan Manuel Marquez. I'm not even sure it was Marquez who had the uh, that temporary back tattoo i think he has had it before but bernard hopkins i definitely remember having the goldenpalace.com yes yes that too yes goldenpalace.com anybody who who's way too young to remember it you, at least you got to look it up they were wild back then but okay. anyway the standings i'm in first but only two ahead of steffi but steffi's nine ahead of victor so it's a two-person race to say the least so we're going to start with Marcin Tybura versus Alexander Romanov, which apparently just got pushed to the prelims uh, uh, off pay-per-view. So, uh, yeah, Tybura Romanov is the future prelim now. Okay. Look, that is the dumbest move ever. What did they swap? Why did it get bumped back? They put in Wu Yainan and, and Lucy Putilova, and I don't understand that at all. Oh, my God. Why? I mean... Who probably shouldn't be in the UFC. We're going to pick that fight in it shortly, but like uh, maybe they didn't want the potent potential of an epic, awful gas out on the pay-per-view portion of the card. That's a dumb move. Dumb move. Yeah. You don't, it, like, it's, it's... You don't like seeing two fat sweaty dudes looking like a turtle trying to copulate with a shoe? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you, at least now they get me, that. You're telling get... me the UFC is leaving money on the table by putting these dudes on the prelims when they can fetch top dollar by putting those guys on the paper come on now i think this is on the abc prelims if they're doing the abc thing again so come on everybody primetime television spent on marcin tybura alexander romanov can romanov do the thing and prevent us from from having 15 minutes of this huh i'm taking romanov you know i love that guy he's awesome i don't i don't see the other guy having a chance so i'm gonna i'm gonna take romanov you all remember when, when they were on Fox and, and they had Cletus the robot throwing the ugly punches and, and doing the takedowns and all that? They, they need to do, now that they're on, on ABC, they need to actually have Mickey Mouse, like a, a CGI Mickey Mouse doing commentary for like, you know, at the round table between fights, you know? Well, you're going to love watching these two fat fucks get out of there. That's what they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm over here. I'm over here saying that guy. His name is Marcin Tybura, and I know who he is, but you know what? Right now, he's that guy because he's fighting Romanov. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Romanov, man. I mean, look, his, neither one of these guys is particularly a clean striker, but Romanov is, you know, he seems like he's a little stronger. He definitely got a way, way better submission game. He doesn't need as much of a setup. Um, I just... God, neither one of these dudes look like they're in. You know how I feel. I've said this so many times. Every time is a fight. 
between two fat heavyweights. I'm like, please, why do they have to do this? But one of them is a much more composed and organized fighter who has a uh, a lot more going on for them. Tybura is not on the come up. Romanov is. Yeah, uh, Tybura tends to be a slow starter, and I think that is a huge problem against Romanov for somebody who gets as many stoppages as he does. Uh, and also, he, he's stupidly strong. Now, we'll see if this holds up against Tybura, who's a respectable heavyweight, compared to you know the Chase Germans and Jared Vanderas of the world. But I feel like Romanov is just that strong, and he's going to be able to physically bully Tybura and uh, maybe even get a stoppage. I think his grounded pound could, could actually get a, a TKO out of this. So I'm picking Romanov by TKO. Let's hope that this doesn't go the distance, because if it does... They probably run over the prelim time slot. Anyway, uh, to the main card. Yes, the main card. Tyson Pedro and Harry Hunsucker, or Attila the Hunsucker, I think they called him on the vivid section. Yes, and exactly how many Huns? It's up in the. It's up for debate. Um, I'm not going to take Tyson Pedro uh, because I don't know where the hell he's been, what the hell he's been doing, and I know what he looked like before the last time I remember what the hell he's doing or where he's been. I know nothing about Harry Hunsucker, but I'm going to pick him because I do know something about Pedro and he's not somebody I'm going to pick because he's a big giant gicta. So that's that. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago, at UFC 277, Dante Mays was in that fight against Hamdi Abdelwahab and he didn't look that great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that guy, Dante Mays actually beat Harry Hunsucker a while ago. Hunsucker, in his time in the UFC, had his initial fight, his loss in his debut to Jared Vandera, a win against Corey Moon after that. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I should correct myself. It was a loss on Contender Series to Vandera, and I remember him specifically because I had to scout that, and I did not have fun scouting Harry Hunsucker. They brought him back in after a win on the regionals, and he's lost since to Tai Tuivasa and Justin Taffa. They are giving this man all of the Samoans they can throw at him, and I don't think this is going to go very well for him. Tyson Pedro has had a very well-established son, but at the very least, his UFC losses have been to Latifi, who hit super hard back in 2017, Ovin St. Peru and Mauricio Hua back in 2018. After that, his last fight was this past April against Ike Villanueva, whom he sent to the spirit world. I know who I'm going to trust, and it's going to be the guy who doesn't sound like he's got a pair of overalls on with a strand of hay hanging out his mouth, and he's got an album uh, with a band called The Porch People playing the jug. Hoo, 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 hoo. Stereotypes galore, baby. I can't trust them. I'm going to go with Tyson Pedro, and I don't care how stupid I look. Wait, which one sent somebody to the shadow realm? Was it Pedro? Tyson Pedro. Okay, let me I have Pedro then. If he's doing that, let me go ahead and have Pedro. Sorry, yeah, look, he's Pedro has lost to better people than Hunsucker has, has beaten. Okay. And that, that metric alone, I, I'm sorry, I can't rock with anything else. Yeah, I haven't followed Pedro much, so I, I didn't know that he's outside doing good things. So, okay, I'll take Pedro. Yeah, he fought in April, but he had been gone for four years, so that's why nobody <laughs> kind of remembered. I barely remember the fight, but <laughs> I also have no recollection of him fighting Shogun. Remember Shogun's last eight fights. I don't want to make the, the obvious T-ball line to, to that follow-up. But, yes, Tyson Pedro, from what I remember, can can hit hard, and if, if he gets your back, he's probably going to tap you out. Hunsucker, from what I've seen in his brief UFC career, is um, not good. 
So Tyson Pedro by TKO. I don't know what this is doing on the main card. We're unanimous here. I don't even know what Wu Yanan and Lucy Pudilova is doing on the main card. Pudilova's back in the UFC because mm-hmm. she had lost, I think, her, her last four in the UFC. Then she went on the regional scene in Czech Republic and won five out of six. But Wu Yanan's on a three-fight losing skit, so I don't get why this got moved up. But, yeah, well, I guess we'll pick it. Pudilova, just because I trust her a little more. I, I mean, I guess I'm in the same boat because, you know, Wu Yanan, good God, her losses to Gina Mizani. Mizuka Inoue was actually not a bad loss at all. That's actually pretty good. Jocelyn Edwards, who's pretty green, and then might have won a silver. Not bad losses, but I just don't think that it's uh, – look, Putalova, neither one of these uh, ladies are – high level in their division and unfortunately we're talking about bantamweight which isn't much of a division to begin with so i guess that's probably why they're still hanging around to keep things shuffled i don't like it but i guess i'm gonna go put a little i don't expect this to be anything special or anything super exciting but i mean sure either one it's kind of a toss-up to me i'm gonna stick with lucy whatever i'm gonna go with uh Pudilova. i mean she's not the finisher of the two but I just think that Wu doesn't, for, for all the finishes that she has, her offense in the UFC has not been all that impressive. I, I think that Spudalova can dictate the, the pace of the fight and, and just get a ho-hum decision win that'll have everybody scratching their head as to why it's on the pay-per-view. So we, we've got... Pudalova across the board. Now to the actual tough fights, the ones that we're really looking forward to. Jose Aldo and Mirab Devalishvili, just three rounds, not five. Will that influence your pick at all yeah, in any way? Um, because they're both good three-round fighters. <laughs> but I think Aldo is a better three-round fighter than Devalishvili, to, to be quite honest, because he gets going faster than Devalishvili does. So I am actually going to take Jose Aldo because I just can't bear the thought of him losing. Even to somebody as cool as Devalishvili, who I really dig a whole heck of a lot, I'm going to take Jose Aldo here. I think he's more explosive. I think if we get kicking Aldo, oh my God, please let us have kicking Aldo. So yeah, Jose Aldo. You might not see too much of kicking Aldo because of the fact that Devalishvili is primarily a wrestler, but the thing that really gives me pause here, Mirab, also another dude who's on the come up. He's another guy who's who's got a lot of great things in his arsenal. Look, Aldo beat Mendez, okay? And Mendez is a, a more well-rounded fighter. I think he's a, a better wrestler, someone who has adapted his wrestling better for MMA. He's a far better striker than Mirab. And yes, it was a few years ago. And yes, this is a different weight class. But all those powers still there, and it translates beautifully to 135. You know, he might not be knocking all the bantamweights out, but he's doing great. He's got his technique. He's still got his mobility, and he knows how to handle a guy who primarily wants to come in and wrestle. And that's what we're looking at here. So I'm going to ride with Aldo once again, man. I am a firm believer. Let's make this happen. Why did you say you didn't think that we would see his kicking game because Devalishvili was primarily a wrestler? What was Uriah Faber? He was primarily a wrestler. What did Aldo yes. do to him? He beat those well, legs up, tenderized them to the point where that you didn't even have to cook them. You could just take your fork and take a piece of Uriah Faber's thigh right off it. Yeah, but the thing is that Faber tried to keep things a little bit more in the uh, standing wheelhouse, and he wasn't. And if you watch you know, Vili, he tends to keep things standing too. I mean, he does, but I kind of feel like he's probably going to try to neutralize him as as early and as often as possible, and try to snatch kicks if they come his way. 
Maybe. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I just that's, think that's, that really I, I just yeah. think that saying that where Aldo is concerned, he doesn't give a shit whether you're a wrestler or not. It's just what mood he's in. That's what yeah. it comes down to. Because remember, we went through these stretches of fights with his, of his where he never launched any kicks. But here over the past, I think the last two fights, we're starting to get a return to kicking Aldo. So I hope we keep that because i think if he takes out devalishvili's legs from under him then we we might get to see aldo with the win and maybe get you know next crack at the title which is what i want more than anything <laughs> if, if he does i'm gonna be so annoying i'm gonna be playing return of the mac full volume everywhere i go right. i'm gonna be right there with you <laughs> i love that song good god <laughs> i see i'm i'm torn here because devalishvili is such a high energy guy that his pace, even if he, he gets takedowns and, and doesn't have the, the extended top control, I wonder how much that could wear Aldo down. But I think about what happens if Devalish Philly's wrestling doesn't work. I mean, look how close he was to getting starched by Marlon Marais. Yep. And that's a very faded Marlon Marais. Now, Devalish Philly is tough, but the other part of it is Marlon has got about an, a, a minute and a half of cardio in him over the last however many fights of his career. I, I've seen it written that all those takedown defenses in as airtight as it was at featherweights. And I'm not entirely sure that's true. I mean, yeah, Marais took him down, but he had like 20 seconds of control time. And when Petr Jan took him down, that was when Aldo was so exhausted from the beating of, of the, the round prior that it, it was just him being too tired to, to really go on that. That's not Aldo at his freshest. And that was a really grueling fight. And you don't want to go strike for strike with Petr Jan. So, I'm trying to remember Rob Font, I think, took him down, but he didn't last that long either uh, in, in terms of top control time. And Devalish Philly, for as good as he is at getting people down, he does not have this great history of just staying on top right. of people. And Aldo is a phenomenal grappler. So I think that Aldo, even if he doesn't kick, he's a much better striker than Devalish Philly. Devalish Philly's getting better. Mm -hmm. I think he's a, a better striker than he's given credit for, but he's not on all those levels. So I think this is a tough one because Mirab could set a pace on him that could make uh, Aldo a little more susceptible to getting taken down as the fight progresses. But I'm going to go with Aldo. If this was five rounds, I might actually leave Mirab because mm -hmm. Aldo could fade late. But I sense Aldo's going to hurt Devalish Philly early and take some rounds early before any rally happens. So we're all going with Jose Aldo over Mirab Devalish Philly. Co-main event now, Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. I should note, Paulo Costa's contract is up after this fight. So could this be a double release? Who knows? Uh, um, I would like to take Luke here because just on principle for everything he said this week. But I can't. That, that's, that's a bummer because he's saying all the right shit. But Costa's probably going to knock him out. <laughs> Let's be real here. I mean, one of those things lands anywhere on his face, anywhere. If it landed on the top of his head, it would probably put him down because Luke has gotten a very soft noggin lately. Not just lately, over the past several years, you know, four or five years, we've watched his decline and it's been rapid. So I'm not going to give him uh, much of a chance here. I'm not going to say he can't do it because... Everyone has a chance, but it's really thin. And I think Paulo's are much, much higher at, at getting this thing done. I want to agree with you. And I think the, the main thing that's giving me pause is that Paulo is not as smart a fighter as, you know, as, as we may have wanted him to be right. 
he can hit super hard and all he got to do is launch some shots down the middle. It's really going to depend on what kind of work Rockhold has been doing. Is he, I think he's, he's back with uh, Perillo on that. Right. So, you know, maybe he might be able to uh, improve his striking defense and avoid those. And if he's able to keep the distance and chew up the legs and then use his uh, really uh, underrated and lanky ground game, uh, we might actually see some pretty spectacular uh, sequences here. So I, I'm actually I'm going to go with Rockhold here. Not that I have a, a 100% faith in it, but you know what, man, it's more of a sentimental pick, and I'm entitled to that. I, I have I'm I am not a stupid man, but I'm very very reckless, and I'm I'm going to go with that. It's possible Costa does something stupid and gets into Rockhold's wheelhouse, which is the grappling, because I mean Costa's not a terrible grappler or anything but when Rockhold gets top position especially if it's a dominant position he's lethal I mean he's super talented there but I don't think his chin is going to get any better even with this layoff and I I feel like even if Rockhold is doing well I just can't trust him to take a a hard shot without him getting wobbled and his defense is just a a game-breaking liability I mean he was getting tuned up by David Branch Yep. And that was supposed to be like a get well fight for him. And he won it eventually, but he didn't look great in that one either. So because Rockhold hasn't looked outstanding for quite some time, I'm going to go with Costa. But I just hope Costa makes weight because he guaranteed he guaranteed he would make weight, which that is one of the <laughs> lamest guarantees I've ever heard. Mm. Yes, I am going I, I, come Friday when I step onto the scale, I will do exactly what my contract stipulated I do. Huh. Yes. Good, good, good flex there, Paolo. There's a video that's circulating right now. And I just retweeted a few minutes ago of Luke Rockhold wrestling a calf, but a big one, you know, one with the full horns and everything. Holy crap. When he gets mount on this thing and it is going to town trying to get away from him. He got it all the way down, managed to get mount on it. I mean, it got, it, it bucked him off eventually, but he had several seconds where he was just wrestling that thing down. You should watch. I, I After I saw that, and now that Victor's made that pick, I'm sitting here going through my brain, doing that mental math, like on that meme. <laughs> I'm like Julia Roberts right now with all the equations floating around and how I can pick Luke and not end up <laughs> regretting it Sunday. I've, I've just seen it. That is, uh, yeah, that that's crazy. I mean, he he's putting some moves on that ball. I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, two two things. Sorry to be that guy, but that's not Julia Roberts. That's from like a Brazilian soap opera, I think, if I remember correctly, the, the meme you're thinking of. But um, what does it say? What does it say that we're thinking about the potential grappling in this fight, and we have to resort to Paulo Costa being relegated to looking like livestock? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Victor, you're the dissenting voice. You're going with Rockhold over Costa. If he wins, steam might be coming out of Dana's ears. He might leave the building. All right, so main event time. I'm sure the Salt Lake City crowd will be highly appreciative of <laughs> Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. Um, they, they, they must be confused that they can't chant USA for this main event. So uh, we know Usman won the first fight. How about the second fight? I think Usman will probably take the second fight, but Leon looks pretty lethal. I saw one of his open workouts this morning, and he looks lethal right now. And if he hadn't gotten real complacent in that Nate Diaz fight, I mean, that would have been a complete route. The only reason why you can't call it a complete route is because he did get complacent, and he let Nate tee off on him for a second there, and he got rocked bad. 
he can't afford to do that with Kamaru Usman because even if Usman lets off the gas a little bit, like he did in the the Coving the second Covington fight, um, it seemed like he let off the gas a little bit in the later rounds. But even if he does that, he's still extremely incredibly dangerous he's got that one hitter quitter and he's he's got pretty phenomenal wrestling however leon edwards is pretty has pretty good you know defense and he can crack he can definitely crack but i don't think he has that one hitter quitter like kamaru so that's the difference maker for me and so i am gonna take kamaru but i'm not super confident because i think that if anybody out there is gonna be the one to unseat him it'll probably be edwards i don't think it'll ever be colby i think usman has his number but I don't know about Edwards. And, it, you know, it's been, what, seven years since the last one or six years? Was it 15 or 16? 15, so seven years. Seven years. That's a long time to get better. Mm, it is. It is. And, you know, the thing is that even though he doesn't have a knack for, like, getting those wild finishes at the UFC and that the fans appreciate, uh, I'm going to go with Edwards, too. He's a smart fighter. He's been able to outgrabble some other dudes and, and, and reverse position. I don't think he's going to be able to stop the takedowns at will for a, a very long, but he is going to be smart enough to be able to try to get off his back and, you know, use the, either using the cage or trying to flip his way out. Um, as much as I love Usman and as much of an advantage as he has, not only living and training in elevation, but also the fact that this is in Salt Lake City, so they'll be fighting at elevation as well. I think that might maybe be a potential factor when it comes to cardio. As good as Edwards' cardio is, he will still have to contend with the altitude factor. And on top of that, unfortunately, as much as I love the guy, the, the way that, that, that Trevor Whitman's training um, has sort of I, I don't I don't think that it's benefited Usman's striking very much. Not at, not 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 in the stand up department. I, I think that he's been eating a, a few too many shots that he probably shouldn't have to. I'm a little worried about the way he kind of stumbles his way into situations. And yes, he can. Uh, he can pull a rabbit out of a hat with his with his counters and, and really drop dudes and put them on their ass like he did with Gilbert. But I don't know how many of those he'll be able to get away with with those clean shots he's going to be eating here with from, from Edwards. I do think that this is going to probably go into the fourth or fifth round. Um, I don't know that Edwards can actually get a – can he get a decision? Uh, can he get a finish? Maybe this will most likely be a decision win. But uh, I, I think this is going to be it, man. I think Edwards takes it. Okay, I have to reiterate. I'm not taking Edwards. I'm taking Usman. All I was saying was that I could see Edwards if he got a win. It wouldn't be a shock. But I, I'm definitely <laughs> taking Usman. I just want to put that out there. I'm picking Usman without hesitation. Um, I don't see the finishing power that Leon has or, or the finishing threat Leon has to trouble Usman. He's not powerless. Right. We've seen him rock people before. Uh, Seth Pazinski, I'm pretty sure he rocked Gunnar Nelson and almost knocked him out. He's gotten in some good shots before. He's, he's not a feather-fisted guy. But that is not going to be enough to dissuade Usman from pressuring him. The wrestling is going to be a problem. If Edwards was more of a finishing threat, I'd give this some thought because he's a very well-rounded technical fighter. But I think Usman is just the better athlete. And it's also hard to ignore that Usman, even if his off his defensive striking is a bit of a problem, mm. offensively, yeah. he has the knockout power to hurt Edwards. I mean, Nate Diaz was running on fumes in the fifth round of their fight, uh, him and Leon, and he rocked Leon. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Edwards get rocked by Barbarina too. So I think Usman is, is going to, 
lay hands on Edwards and put him away within a couple of rounds. So I'm going to go with Usman by TKO. So Victor is the dissenting voice on the Rockhold, Costa fights, and Edwards Usman. He is going with the underdog on both occasions. We're unanimous on everything else. You can read the rest of our picks over a bloody elbow. And uh, yeah, there, there, there's certainly going to be a few fights on the prelims that'll have you going. That's on the prelims? <laughs> oh, and how will we forget? MVP and Mike Perry, Bare Knuckle FC, the must watch of the year. Forget Usyk, MVP and Mike Perry, Bare Knuckle Boxing. That, that's going to shut down the entire world. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Yeah, London, London's already shut down, but not because of the fight. It's because of the train strikes. So, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, real quick, Mookie. Usyk, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I just Usyk, wanted to know knock, out, him. knock out of Joshua on the 10th round. 10th. I'm going to go with 6th. Yep. Do we have do we have an over under of him knocking out Joshua and then breaking out in a song doing like, you know, Hugh Jackman comes out and they do a number together? I want to see that. This is great. You know what? You can just scrap the fight. I'll pay to see that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see if DraftKings Sportsbook uh, ha- has that line available. <laughs> I want him to, as long as he wears the co- his traditional dress that he was wearing yesterday or day before, that's what I want him mm-hmm. to wear when he does that. Yep. Usyk forever, baby. <laughs> yes. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up the show. Please do me a favor. Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Myself at Crooklyn MMA. The show at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. Victor has an amazing Instagram. And boy, I hadn't been on Instagram in a while and I went over there and I, he always sends me a a little link so that I can go see the stuff. And man, some of the things on your page make me immediately start dialing Uber Eats, looking for something (laughs) along those lines. I have eaten tacos several times this week because I keep looking at all your amazing food. So um, you're going to make me fat and I'm going to, I'm going to have a bone to pick with you. But anyways, Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Mookie is the managing editor of SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you are a Seahawks fan, check his work out there. We're all available on bloodyelbow.com. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, Mookie will tell you where you can find this and all the other great podcasts on the Bloody Elbow Presents Network. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.